today is week six of Squad Goals. As I mentioned earlier, this uh, the finale of this series is going to be next Sunday. It'll be week seven, and we have a very, very phenomenal finale planned for you. Today's message is, is somewhat of a departure from sort of the tone and tenor of the series up until now. Uh, we're going to talk about relationships. Uh, we're going to talk about squad goals, and we're going to talk about how to do relationships better. Uh, but I think the content of what we share today is going to deal uh, more generally with life. Uh, today's message really has to do with life lessons, uh, life decisions, but interwoven into the the, the, the principles that we will share is also the idea of how we can do friendships better, how we can do relationships better and level up. Somebody say level up, level up in our squad goals. All right. Uh, today's message uh, is simply titled fright, flight or fight. Fright, flight or fight. Uh, life has an interesting way of disrupting our regularly scheduled programming. Anybody else can testify? Uh, one of the discoveries I've made, though, is sometimes life interruptions are God's divine interventions. Our response to the interruptions and the disruptions we often experience is usually determined, our response is usually determined by how we frame what we experience. If we put the wrong frame about what we're experiencing, typically we'll have the wrong response. There are a lot of things that are disguised as interruptions that are truly divine interventions. And so when those things happen, we have to be careful because there are one of three, one of three responses. When there is a disruption, when there is an interruption, when there is something that we don't understand, typically our first response is fright. In fact, that's one of the reasons repeatedly, in fact, it's one of the most common phrases in all of Scripture, fear not. God spoke those words to Gideon. He spoke those words to Joshua. He spoke those words to Mary at the announcement that she would be the mother of Messiah. There are things in life that will come against us, and our first response is often fear. Yet the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So when life's interruptions and disruptions happen, the first response for the believer should not be an irrational response or an irrational fear of those circumstances because God has not given us a spirit of fear. Are you tracking so, so far? First response typically is fright or fear. A second one, second response that we will often see when there is a disruption, uh, when there's an interruption or even conflict. That might be an even, even a more common word when there is conflict between two people within your squad, and that squad could be in your marriage, it could be in your interpersonal relationships, your friendships. The second response uh, typically is flight. Uh, when Pastor Wendy and I first got married, uh, we realized early on that we were wired differently because my first response to conflict is confrontation. And here's why. Because I want to deal with it and move on. 
Are y'all with me? But when Pastor Wendy and I got married, her response often was flight. I don't want to deal with this right now. So guess what Pastor did? If she retreated to the bedroom, man, her timing was good too. Her timing was good too, man. That door would slam shut right where my nose was. I'm just teasing, baby. It's okay. It's been 18 years and I've been redeemed. You have been redeemed in Jesus' name. But Pastor Wendy's response was flight. Can I just tell the whole thing? Sometimes the flight wasn't just to another bedroom. Sometimes the flight was out the house. Listen to me now. We're talking about squad goals. When we are confronted with conflict or, here's a better way, uncomfortable situations. Some respond in fear. They retreat to their corner. Some flee. The response is flight because I don't want to deal with this right now. Let me, and, and later on, listen now, listen now. I started asking myself, why, why are you leaving? Why are you running to the room? Why are you leaving the house? And here's why. Here's why. Y'all know my wife has been redeemed. But early on in our marriage, hmm, my beautiful wife, she fine though, had a short fuse. Short fuse. Go from zero to 60 <laughs> in a split second. And her choice to flee the crime scene. <laughs> was actually an act of mercy and grace. Y'all, you, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I got a few hand claps. It was actually an act of mercy and grace. And because, she said, she later on, when we talked about, hey, what's going on? What are you, pro-? Here, here's the deal. There are some things that I could say in that state that I wouldn't be able to take back. Her response where she fled was for her to decompress. So in our marriage, we have rules of engagement. Let me tell you two of our rules of engagement that work for us when we're fighting. You a pastor and you fight? Yeah. Oh, let me, let me rephrase it. Disagree. Huh? I like that heated fellowship. <laughs> let, me, let, me tell you, let me tell you rules of engagement. In fact, when we take couples through premarital counseling, one of the sessions is about rules of engagement because all is not fair in love and war. And some of us have mastered the art of low blows. We know how to hit below the belt, and we do it effectively, and we do it consistently. And so one of the things we've learned is, look, if we're going to disagree and have heated fellowship, two rules of, we have several, let me just give you two. One rule of engagement is that it's okay, and you see this even in boxing, it's okay, man, when that, when that conflict get in, gets intense for the two people in the ring to go to their corners. Why does the referee send them to their corners? Because he knows if he keeps them at this rate, it's going to escalate. And it's going to go from boxing to an all-out brawl. So in our marriage, we have this rule of engagement. It is okay 
to retreat to your corner so that you can decompress. And after you have decompressed, we can re-engage and we can fight fair. But not when we're both mad at each other. How many of you realize you cannot reach a healthy resolution when two people screaming at each other? So rule of engagement for the Harmon household is you can go to your corner, I can go to my corner, but we will not let the sun go down on our wrath. So you can retreat, but before I lay my head on that pillar, we're going to work it out. That's biblical. Are y'all with me? Here's the second rule of engagement. So I gave Wendy that, right? I gave Pastor Wendy that. She needed to flee. And I realized, you know what? It's, it's healthy for her and it's healthy for us to do that. How many realize that words are like toothpaste? Once they come out that tube, you ain't putting it back in. Are y'all with me? So all this stuff we say, well, I didn't mean to say that. No, you did. You did. You did. I didn't even get to my message yet. I'm just on the title of the message. Here's the third, here's the third thing. Uh, the third response is you stay and you fight. You fight for what matters. You fight for what you believe in. And you fight fair. So Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14, um, let, me, let me read this real quick. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14 is an admonition to the entire nation of Israel. And he says, remember the Lord your God, great and awesome. He says, fight for your families. Fight for your children. Fight for your homes. Fight for your brethren. That's squad goals. God's desire is that when we are confronted with uncomfortable, whatever your uncomfortable situation is, is not that you flee in fear, but that you stay and work it out. And this message today has to do with relationships, but even beyond relationships, it just has to do with life. And the, 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 the word that we're going to unpack this morning is a simple word that has become very common now in culture, and it's grit. Somebody say grit. Some of us have lost our grit, our stick to in life, and in relationships, and when it gets hard, we throw up the deuces. Huh? We, we, we exchange the convenience of flight because conflict is too uncomfortable. And what we end up doing is walking away from the very thing that God intended to, to bring us the most joy, and fulfillment because we have lost our grit. The ability to stand flat-footed and fight for the things that really matter. We've become a culture and a society that has just learned the art and embraced the art of walking away. But for those of us who are Christ followers, God wants to restore our grit Again, I'm sorry, baby. Go ahead. Dive in. Well, one of the things, uh, one of the 
point out a couple of things, whether it's in fright or whether it's in flight. Both, both of those are very highly emotional states to be in. Good. Whether you're in fear or whether you are just like, you know what, I just, I, I want to leave. The more emotional you are, the less rational you can be. Good. And so when your emotions, whether it's fear or whether it's like, I don't want to deal with it, then those emotions, when people say, oh, my goodness, I didn't mean to say that. And we think, well, yes, you did. Those emotions, it's just like a little, you know, the cartoon back in the 70s and the 80s. They used to have the cartoon with the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. And so the angel is like, hey, don't say anything. But the devil is like, no, get him. And that appeals to our flesh. So I do believe you can say some things that you really don't mean is because you are in an irrational state. True. And when I would say, hey, I can't deal with this right now, it would be, I could, I could feel it. I could feel it like warm honey, just like, oh, yeah, you keep on, I'm finna cuss you out. And our culture and the way I came up with that was okay. Well, you get on me, I'm going to get you off. But it was in direct conflict with who I was becoming as a Christ follower. Forget being a wife, forget being a woman. As a Christ follower, how you just cuss somebody out, your husband, and then go to church and just act like everything is okay. I was having an internal struggle. This ugliness in me. Where? But I don't it, think you ever did, though. What? Cuss me out? No, I never cussed you out. Never I did. wanted to. Or did you? I, no, I said some cuss words, but I didn't no, cuss okay. you out. No. I'm just thinking you know, about it. I was like, did you ever go No, there? I said I some, some some potty words, and but not just cussing. But well, you know you're, you know where your heart <laughs> is. You're just like, hey, if you just keep on, I don't even really agree with this. This don't even really make no kind of sense to me anyway. And and just and it's just so soothing to your flesh. It is such a trick. And so when we're saying get in the word and have fellowship is for times like that. Not for you to quote a scripture, but to have, there is a restrained grace that you can have that you just don't have to treat people any old kind of way and then, and proclaim to be a Christ follower. Flight for me was, I am becoming somebody I really want to be, but it's in conflict with who I'm called to be. So I wasn't scared of him. I wasn't scared of the conflict. Another thing. Why, why you got to say it like that? I wasn't scared of him. Why, why, why? Well, that was I'm just, just for teasing, the ladies. I'm just teasing, baby. That was just for the ladies. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't, I wasn't. No, I, baby, probably, I know, I know, baby. Yeah. I know, I know. Okay. It's all right. I know. It's all I'm good, just, my king. I wasn't. Say that one of, more time. I said, it's okay, my king. I wasn't, but I, I no, wasn't scared. I, I just was. I just didn't want to be, you know, and then you apologize and you're all embarrassed because you act like a monkey. And then, you know, monkey business will graduate to just straight up baboon activity. Yeah. Yeah. You could just like, you know, just straight up zoo gorilla kind of stuff. And so if you can't get the baby monkey under control, you're going to be a 6,000 pound gorilla. And then that is not attractive. And it doesn't just stay with this relationship. It stays with the people in the Kroger parking lot and your family members. So getting those things under control. Another thing with flight, if you are a person and it's not really a temper, but you just want to say, well, I don't even want to deal with this. 
we have to evaluate our emotional state. Generally, probably nine and a half times out of ten, the reason why I didn't want to deal with the conflict is because my clogged filter was saying, why are you attacking me? I was taking something personal that I should not have. So not being able to deal with conflict, it wasn't that I couldn't deal with conflict. What it was is I couldn't deal with you letting me know about myself. But wherever you are, there you be. And you're going to deal with you, whether it's in the safety of here or whether it's in the exposure out here. There is coming a day when you're going to have to deal with your stuff. And it took maturity. First of all, I just did not even know how to communicate. I just... At that time in my life before we met, I just, you know, if I'm just sweet and if I'm just nice, and then I wouldn't have to deal with conflict. I hadn't been taught that conflict is inevitable. So conflict for me represented something's wrong with me. And then having to deal with something's wrong with me, then I'm like, well, what's wrong with me? And then I don't want you to tell me what's wrong with me because if you don't like me right now, then am I not going to like me? And it was just all-consuming. And so that's why we're spending so much time every year on relationships because um, the school of hard knocks. But just evaluate those things. Say, okay, and even if somebody is telling you about you, it's just like Robitussin. I don't know anybody that likes to take that strong cough syrup. But you got to take that strong medicine for it to work some healing in your Good. system. Good. So when you're in safety, when you trust people, and they say, hey, sometimes people will not approach the situation right. in a nice, kind, gentle manner. But eat the hay, spit out the sticks. Mm. What you have to do in the bathroom, in the mirror by yourself is what is true. Yeah. Do I struggle with my temper? Having to accept that. Do I struggle with acts of just straight up being rude? Do I struggle with not being able to listen? Am I quiet in letting somebody finish their sentence? All of these things, I was just wilding out. And it was because I just had a wrong view of of working conflict out. I have been a person, I don't think that there has, uh, in my girlfriend relationships, I have never fallen out with a girlfriend. Just, you know, straight up falling out. We don't talk and get back together. That's just not my life. I just, and I've got friends 24 years, 20 years, 19, 10, but we just don't operate on that level. Now, they all, none of them that I have these long relationships with live in town. So what I had to evaluate last couple of years is, mm, I think there's something about my makeup that is comfortable with distance. Right. Now I've got some good friendships, but it's, you know, more five, ten years. So I had to evaluate those types of things. So back to the marriage relationship, because I didn't deal with conflict with girlfriends or with family and all of that, then I thought, this being married stuff sucks. <laughs> I don't even really like nobody. Anybody ever felt that way? If you're sitting next to your spouse, you... It's okay. No, this is a safe space. It is a so safe space. So I just wanted to yeah. go... Re- but you hit on something back. real good. You hit on something... I'm sorry. Did you finish your thought? You did No, but okay, it's okay because I've learned the art. You see, before I would have just been... We would have been talking over each other for the next 30 seconds. I've learned to stop. So no, it doesn't even bother though. me. 
But I forgot what it was because this was a good example, though. So it was meant to happen. You may go on, my king. No, you... Say that one more time, man. My king with there your fine African self. African. Jesus' name. What were we talking about? You said we hit okay. on something. Yeah. I was just talking about... No, she hit emotion. on something, though. Yeah, you hit on something about the filters. I got, I got to jump in and say this. We're the, still only on the title. We're only on the title. We ain't get to the notes yet. For real. No, I ain't playing. This is for real. Uh, but if you are in a relationship where every comment sounds like a criticism, you got a clogged filter. And you I don't know. Deal. Let's meet halfway. No no no, 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 no. Wait now, wait now. Let me tell you something. Okay. Mm-hmm. I said every comment. Every comment. But sometimes every comment can be a criticism. Hey, baby, you just stole my shine. Oh, no. Okay, no, okay. no, okay. Let me qualify it. Yes. Uh, no, I was just saying meet halfway, but I'll be quiet. No, 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 yeah. No, but you're fine, you're fine. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I do get what you're saying, because some people can be in a highly critical relationship, right? But the flip side of it is also true that there are certain people who have a clogged filter so that no matter what the person says, it's perceived as an attack. No, all I'm, I just, I was just trying to say something. I was just trying to communicate. I was just making an observation. But there are people who go through life with their dukes up constantly. And you say something and they're ready to, and and, and so this is what happens now. In those relationships, uh, people stop talking to you. Husbands and wives, why you don't talk to me no more, baby? Because everything I say sounds like criticism to you. So you have not given me permission to speak honestly. Because every time I try to speak honestly to you, you fight back. So I can't say nothing because if I try to say something, it's perceived as an attack. John Gottman calls that defensiveness. And it is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse in every relationship. He can predict with 96% accuracy which relationships will last and which will fail based on the presence of these four factors. And one of them is defensiveness, where every comment is perceived as an attack. And what people end up doing is like, man, I really want to... The people in your life end up suffering in silence. I can't really tell you what I'm feeling because if I tell you what I'm feeling, you're going to perceive it as an attack. So we're just going to sit in this relationship and pretend and suffer in silence because you have not given me permission. In the military, you're a Navy man. You have not given me permission to speak freely. So I'm going to say only the things that you're comfortable hearing. We ain't even going to get to the truth about how I really feel because you can't handle the truth. It's a big deal. It is a big, 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 big deal. Because at some point, somebody got to tell somebody something. That's when the girlfriend becomes the confidant, the best friend becomes the confidant, my boys become the confidant, when the scripture says that Adam and Eve were both naked and unashamed. You know what that means? It's not just talking about their physical nakedness. There was also an emotional transparency. 
where Adam could tell Eve what was up and Eve could tell Adam what was up and they could both be unashamed in the relationship, sharing their fears, sharing their struggles, sharing their vulnerabilities, sharing their anxieties. Most of the relationships today, nobody, everybody got on their best, their best face. Everybody afraid to be naked because they know if I get naked, I will be ashamed. It's a big deal. And a big part of it is a filter issue because we see and we perceive every comment as a criticism. And that's why we've got to get our grit back. Got to get our grit back. People, our feelings get hurt too easy for everything, for everything, for every single thing. And we cannot have quality relationships, meaningful, authentic relationships where people don't have the freedom to speak freely. So that's what this is all about. We'll finish this next week. We'll finish this next week because this, like you said, is just an introduction. Now, let me tell you about grit. When I think of the word grit, uh, I'm thinking about them old school westerns, man. Come on, somebody. Uh, Pastor Casey was with you guys last week, and he's a kung fu Shaolin head, as I am. Anybody else grow up back in the 70s? Everything was kung fu, Shaolin, Jim Kelly. Come on. Huh? Wu-Tang, all of that, man. Five, de- Yeah, Wu-Tang, long before, long before Wu-Tang, the Wu-Tang y'all know. Come on. That's old school Shaolin karate stuff, man. But there was also a genre that's popular in the 60s, man. 50s and 60s, man. That's some westerns. And so in 1969, John Wayne was the lead in a movie called True Grit. Come on, I see Tony Steiner looking at me, man. So, so and, and that was the only movie that he won an Oscar for, True Grit. And they did a remake in 2010. Do we have the picture of True Grit? True Grit, True Grit. In fact, uh, John Wayne's character is Rooster Cogburn, Cogburn. But the movie is not about Rooster Cogburn. It's really about this 14-year-old precocious little girl named Maddie Ross who exemplified True Grit. She would not take no for an answer. When we think about grit, do we have that picture? Yes. You don't? Okay. Uh, but in 2010, there was a remake, and again, the whole idea, and, and so this word started to find its way back into popular culture, but what really took over the edge was a book that came out a few, a few years ago by Angela Duckworth. Angela Duckworth, she wrote a book called Grit, uh, and the tagline is The Power of Passion and Perseverance by Angela Duckworth. Uh, uh, here, here's a little bit about Angela. Angela is a University of Pennsylvania uh, psychology professor. And uh, uh, she's also a researcher, and her clients include the World Bank, uh, Fortune 500 CEOs, and NBA and NFL teams. When she wrote the book Grit, she set out to answer the question, why are some people successful and others aren't? She wanted to answer three fundamental questions. Number one, who was successful? Number two, why are they successful? And number three, is it because of talent or is it because of their effort? And so in her research, she interviewed uh, Ivy League students, West Point uh, students, uh, teachers in inner city schools, finalists in the National Spelling Bee competition, Fortune 100 CEOs, 
and even a Super Bowl winning coach. Notice her primary finding, the common denominator with all these people was not what we think. Because most of us think that success is the result of talent. That person is successful just because they have the gifts, they have the ability, they have the intellect, they have the acumen. And after interviewing all these people from different walks of life, her primary finding in her research was this, that high achievement, listen to this, high achievement has less to do with talent and more to do with a never give up attitude. It's the story of Michael Jordan being cut from his eighth grade or the JV team because the coach thought he wasn't good enough. But he applied hard work and effort and became one of the greatest to ever play the game. Same is true of Kobe Bryant. He didn't rest on his talent alone. He was the hardest worker on his team there at the gym before everybody else, and the last one to leave. And most of us think that success in life and achievement in life is the result of our natural ability when the opposite is true. Opposite is true. If you and I are going to experience high achievement and success on any level, it's going to be because of our effort and our grit and our decision not to give up. Think about all the greatest. Think about all the greatest. It wasn't just because of their talent. In fact, some of the most talented people, you know this, especially in sports, don't go very far because of their work ethic or the lack thereof. Some of the most talented musicians hustling for pennies on the street in Nashville and L.A. because they have not combined their skill with grit. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, and then I'm going to wrap up. Okay, so this is what she found in her research. She says, where talent counts once, listen to this, where talent counts once, skill and effort count twice. She says, where talent counts once, effort and grit count twice. Now, look at this, look at this. Uh, did I send you that equation? That little thing? I do. Okay, so this is what she says. Talent is what we're all born with. Everybody has a gift, has an ability. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, As each one has received a gift, let him minister that gift as a faithful steward of the manifold grace of God. So everybody, everybody in this room has a gift, a talent, some type of ability. But she says that talent is multiplied or must be multiplied by effort in order for it to become a skill. So everybody has an ability, has a gift, but it's undeveloped or underdeveloped. What I do with that gift, the amount of effort I apply to that gift now determines my skill. So talent times effort equals skill. But she said it doesn't stop there. In order to be a high achiever and in order to be successful, we have to apply effort a second time. After we have developed the skill, we must apply effort again in order to achieve. You see, what, you see what she's saying? It's not enough just to have a talent. 
You have to apply effort to the talent. And after it becomes a skill, after it becomes a skill, you have to then take that skill and apply effort again in order for it to be, be achievement. And this is the distinguishing factor between ordinary people and those who achieve great success. In fact, she goes on to say that grit is not about education or inherited wealth or even IQ. The number one predictor of success in all fields that Duckworth studied was grit. Notice a couple of things she said, and then we're going to dive into one thing before we wrap up. She says, grit is like living life, or grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Speaks of never giving up. She goes on to say that gritty people have a growth mindset. When bad things happen, they don't give up. Here's the third thing she said, and this is my favorite quote. Check this out. I think this is one to think about all week. She says, enthusiasm comes easy. Endurance doesn't. And that's what sets most people apart, is most of us get excited about stuff. Most of us are enthusiastic about opportunities, but we lack the endurance to see it through. Most of us get excited about the idea of being married, but we lack the endurance to fight it through. In fact, the very first words, when I was preparing this message, the Lord reminded me of the very first words I spoke eight years ago when we started City Church. It's a poem by Edwin Markham, I believe his name is. But the first person I heard uh, recite this poem was John Osteen, Joel Osteen's dad. And he said, great it is to dream the dream. When we stand in youth by the starry stream. But a greater thing, a greater thing is to fight life through. And in the end, to say the dream is true. Notice what he says. He says it's pretty cool to have a dream when you're standing in your youth as a young man, as a young boy, young lady. You, you, you got big dreams. He said that's pretty cool. It's great to dream. It's great to have enthusiasm. But it is a greater thing to fight life through and in the end to say the dream is true. Most of us grow satisfied simply with enthusiasm. A whole lot of excitement. Oh, we got engaged. Oh, we got to the altar. And now you're married and we lose our grit to fight for what really matters. Can I give you a biblical definition of what grit is? <laughs> uh, grit is simply faithfulness. Listen to me now. It's simply faithfulness when life gets tough. And that's what most of us as Christians have lost. The ability to remain faithful, the ability to remain true to God and to others when life gets tough. And that's why Job's wife said, are you still, are you, are you still holding on to your integrity? That's what she said, your integrity. Most of us just quote the second half, curse God and die. Before she said curse God and die, she said, Job, you crazy? Look at everything we've lost. 
Are you still holding on to your integrity? You still love God as much now as when you had everything? Why don't you curse God and die? And that's what most of us have lost. We've lost our faithfulness when life gets tough. And if we're going to have squads, if we're going to have relationships that endure, we've got to learn the lesson of being faithful even when life gets tough. I ain't going to do this next week. I'm just going to give it to them now. What you say? Let's go. Here it is. You need to cultivate grit in three areas. Number one, personal grit. In your life personally. In your life personally. If you are one who responds in fright, if you are one who responds in flight, maybe today is an opportunity for you to reframe your entire life and cultivate and develop some personal grit. Don't quit. I'm talking to that person who's about to quit, who's about to walk away from that opportunity, about to walk away from that relationship. And the missing ingredient is your grit. The reason I got up here and preached when my my mom had that catastrophic brain event is because of grit. The reason I'm up here preaching right now is because of grit. Most people have lost their faithfulness when life gets tough. Oh, life is hard. Let me just quit. Let me just quit coming to church. Let me just quit taking phone calls. Let me just curl up in this bed and be sad. No. Personal grit is learning to be faithful to your vision when life gets tough. Can I tell you one of the greatest examples of personal grit in all of Scripture? Is the one that we confess and profess to be our Lord and Savior, someone named Jesus Christ. Who wrestled with the vision that God had given him in the Garden of Gethsemane. When life got tough and his vision was being squeezed, even Jesus said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Let's do this another way. If there's a plan B, if there's another option, Lord, uh, would you consider it? Yet he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because when the vision that God entrusted him entrusted to him was being squeezed. Jesus remained faithful. It's called grit. It's called grit. And most of us give up on what God has called and created us to do prematurely just because it got tough. Most of us want a version of God that is comfortable and convenient. In fact, one day there was a whole bunch of people who were following Jesus. And then Jesus simply said, look, don't get it twisted. Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part in me. Guess what most of them did? That day, the scripture says, most of them, multitudes walked away from Jesus. You know why? No grit. They wanted to follow Jesus on their terms. And Jesus says, no, 
Following me requires that you take up your cross daily. It requires that you deny yourself. Give up your right to be right. Give up your preferences. Give up your way of doing things. If you ain't willing to do that, player, you can't follow me. And that day, most of them walked away, not just from any other preacher. They walked away from Jesus, who was perfect. If they could walk away from a perfect Savior, how much more will they walk away from you when life gets tough? We've lost our grit. And it's become fashionable to throw in the towel and give them the deuces. Be faithful to the vision that God has given you, especially, especially when life gets tough. Go ahead and jump on relational grit, and then we'll wrap it up. Relational grit, being faithful to your relationships when life gets tough. And I want to go back to uh, when you were saying people being defensive. If you're struggling with someone who is defensive, if you know, they take whatever you say as a criticism. Uh, it's not about that moment. Good. Having grit is, are we willing to take the time to go back? How did you end up here? How did you just assume this posture? People don't normally, they don't just start off defensive. What has happened what are the successions of events that have happened that have caused them to be so defensive? Now, that's not giving them a way out. It's going to take some grit. And it looks like this. When I say, hey, I like your black jacket better than the blue, and then you get mad and you don't even want to go to the event, what are you hearing me say? And that's the part where we don't, we have become accustomed to not going that extra mile. Okay, when I say this to you and you get defensive, what, what are you hearing me say? That will, that alone, that one question, what are you hearing me say? Yeah. They could actually respond to you. Well, you just said I'm ugly and this doesn't look right. And you're like, wait a minute. I didn't even use any of those words. I didn't even say the word ugly. Sometimes people are just not aware because their filter is so clogged. So grit is not looking at the defensive posture. Grit is saying, hey, let's go beyond that. You aren't that upset about me saying put on this black jacket better than the blue. What, what are you hearing me say? When they respond what they're hearing, you could discover, oh, my goodness, that's not even what I said now. That isn't the time to jump on the bandwagon and say, there you go. You always get mad about nothing. That's when you have grit and you say, this is what I said, X, Y, Z. Why is that making you feel that way? And when you have this conversation at first, you are not going to solve any situations. This is going to take some time. And that's the grit, the investigating. Sometimes you have to just kind of, Take the top off of something that's like a pressure cooker. You don't just open up the valve. It's you've got to let that steam out a little bit at a time. So you may only start off with the what, what, that first question. How is that making you feel? Their response, you might not even be able to tackle that response right then because it can be so far away. And it takes time. Sometimes that's going to be through counseling. Sometimes that's just going to be through 
listening to this on the podcast over and over, but it takes time in having relational grit. What we are not saying is just keep putting up with foolishness. Grit is looking beyond the circumstances and emotion and saying, I love you. This is not okay with me. When we can sit down and talk, I'm going to be here. It's not just, you know what, this thing is not working out and I'm gone. And that's why we have to have the word. You have to have the word to know, okay, is this a situation where I show grit or is this a situation where I can still show grit, but this particular situation isn't for me right now. If you are trying to decide on a job, well, you've got this job that is closer to your house, less benefits, but it's closer to home. But you've got another offer for a job that's further away, better benefits, everything is better, but it's further away. Where you're saying, well, I've been at this job for 10 years, here's this opportunity. Well, that's when we use the grit of prayer and the word. What is going to work best for me? We don't always follow the dollars. Sometimes you can follow the dollars and then we've got a precious friend we're believing God for now, had a better opportunity, and in two months that opportunity dissolved. And so they're believing God um, right now. So with relational grit, that grit comes from, okay, I still love that person. I'm choosing to love the person, but it is going to take some time to work through these uh, different situations. What part of your relationships with others is being squeezed right now, and how have the dynamics changed? Look at the, the example of Mary and Jesus. Mary was Jesus's mother. She went from being the boss of him than him being the boss of her because of the Savior. Sometimes because he was Savior, sometimes relational dynamics will change, and that's where the conflict can be. I've told you all this story years ago. I was working at a preschool when we first started uh, City Church, and I went into this job as being just a front office desk secretary. Well, then they found that I had my degree. There was an opening for the director. So I end up going from being the secretary to now being the director. Well, the roles changed among my peers. So where I was just one of the girls and we were just talking with the other teachers, now I'm their boss. And sometimes people do not transition in those relational dynamics. And I had a girl, I mean, she was so angry with me. And she told me I was acting funny ever since I got the position. And I said, no, I'm, act, I'm not acting funny. The thing is, the things that you used to do where I just lift my eyebrows up, now we have to, I have to write you up. I'm responsible for at a different level. So sometimes, and you don't give up on people. I don't just write her up out of being angry. I just talked about her when I got home. But... At, at work, you have to have grit and stick to what your guns are going to be. Grit is not going with the crowd. Grit is being a responsible adult. I could not, for the sake of the teachers liking me, just let them slide by and do whatever they wanted to as being the director. Now I have to be responsible for something that has been entrusted to me. And so grit is knowing who I am and getting filled up in my sphere and not expecting my coworkers to be emotional support for me. That is not what my job was about. And sometimes we can get our wires crossed up by placing expectations where they shouldn't be. So with relational grit, 
It is the stick to itness. I am not going to give up on this person. What is being squeezed? Is my patience being squeezed? Is my endurance being tested? Or am I going to be the safe space to love this person through a situation? And then you're just honest. You just say, nope, that's not going to work for me. Let's go back. I love you. You still send texts and you check up on them. But with relational grit, re, re, reclaiming that relational grit that we need to have is I'm not going to let a person's behavior make me say, oh, they're no good. They're not worth the investment. You have your boundaries. You speak your truth. You're an advocate for yourself. Hey, I want to talk about this, but if we've got to yell and cuss right now, it's probably not the time. When can we come back and discuss this? Good. Very good. So this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do because I got four pages of notes. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pick up, we're going to pick up here next week because I really want us to zero in. Because this series is about squad goals, I want us to lock in on relational grit and spiritual grit. Got a ton of stuff to share. So that's where I want us to wrap up today. Uh, as we close, I just want you to consider this question, all right? As it relates to the first two things we discussed, number one, personal grit, uh, what areas of your personal vision, the dream that you've carried in your heart, what, what areas of your dream are being squeezed right now? Almost to the point of suffocation where you want to quit and throw in the towel. That could be an invitation for personal grit. Not to quit, but to dig in. Second one, what areas of your relationships, your relational Grit. What areas of your relationships are being squeezed right now? And look, Pastor Wendy and I have been married long enough, 18 years. We've done enough premarital counseling to know that there are seasons. I don't care how you love that person. There are dry seasons that come to us all. And some of us misdiagnose those seasons or we, we don't know how to respond in those seasons. I think what God is calling and inviting each of us to is to become more aware and to make a commitment to dig in, to be faithful, to be faithful even when life gets tough. When my vision is being squeezed and when my relationships are being squeezed, I will find the grit, the faithfulness to endure when life gets tough. I tell you again, enthusiasm is common, it's popular. What's rare is the endurance to press through. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you this morning. In